I ask that you join me in a prayer for guidance. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with glad hearts what you say to us today. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 84, and it's on page 543 in the Old Testament of your Pew Bible. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The word about Psalm 84 and uh, Psalms 120 to 134 have something in common with 84 in that they are referred to as pilgrim songs. Uh, they were the psalms that would be sung as people ascended from, say, down at Jericho up to Jerusalem. In the story of the Good Samaritan, the priest is ascending, uh, or, or the Levite is ascending to go up to the city, and so he would have been singing these songs. Going down to Jericho was the uh, priest. So people would sing these songs about the glory of the temple, of the Lord's house, and they would anticipate going up. Uh, Jesus and his disciples at, uh, on the way to the garden after the Last Supper sing psalms together. And the psalms were always fixed upon God. Uh, what you won't note here in these psalms is, uh, wow, uh, your temple really has, has great pews. Uh, your temple really has uh, the best priests uh, who, who really preach great messages. You know, it's not about the temple, it's about who inhabits the temple. And as I sort of meditated upon this uh, this week, and to tell you the truth, this has been one of those times where the sermon kind of morphed back and forth, back and forth as I thought about what it means to get up here and say, I love my church, here's why. Uh, One of the things that I thought uh, I started out doing was I sat down and I said, okay, these these are the things I really appreciate about this church. And so so I came up with the list. uh, uh, You have amazing fellowship meals. 
You have padded pews. You have a fairly new roof. You laugh at my jokes sometimes. Yeah, I started making this. It wasn't a little bit deeper and better than that. But I started making this list. And as I went through, I thought, well, this is nice. And it'll kind of, you know, our egos will be sort of, uh, uh, you know, assuaged by this. And, and, and I just, uh, as time went on, I thought, is that really what we're about? Is it really about praising ourselves and praising how good we are? And so I, I began to have a little bit of a uh, search back in my own history, spiritual history, as to what drew me to a church. What was it about a church that drew me there? I had, had a conversation this week, and uh, you know, these folks, they go to a huge church. I, mean, I think they have probably in their three services over 2,000 people. And what they really liked was the music. And that's, that's really what I heard. I really liked the music. And I know that speaks to a large percentage of people today when they go to find a church. It's, it speaks to our need for something that's going to somehow, during the week, deflect us from the tensions and the stresses of the week. And so music can be a great comfort to the soul. So I understand that. But I thought, you know... I've gone to some churches with some pretty lousy music, this church being the exception. Okay, yes. I, I, I wasn't going to, I didn't think of saying that until I could feel my back of my head was burning. Yeah, there was heat coming down. You know, I, I looked back and thought, so, uh, you know, about, when our e-tower comes out, the email, some of you may have read, some, probably most of you didn't, so, but uh, what I wrote about my own history of going back to church, that I had a time in my 30s where I gave up on church for a while. My initial excuse reason for this was I needed some time between churches to sort of get my head straight, my heart straight, and figure out what it was about my past experiences of church that didn't measure up to my expectations of church and where it is that we should go. And so we had just moved down to this farm. And I also used the excuse that there was a lot to do on the farm. I was driving 45 miles one way to work every day and then coming back and then having to hop on the tractor and do all my work in the evenings or on Saturday. I thought, well, I can be close to God out in nature. Anybody ever said that? Anybody ever had somebody in your family say, yeah. Oh, I can be just as close to God out in nature. We had a beautiful little river ran by this bluff overlooking it, and I can go out there and, you know, uh, I can do the one thing I really hate in life, and that's to fish. You know, I don't have the patience. If that fish doesn't have the good sense and the decency to hook itself on that hook within a minute, I'm out of there. But I was going to do things to be close to God. And so I don't know how many months it was, I don't know, uh, I kind of in my mind it was like a year. Uh, Lydia and I would occasionally visit a church, but it was like the churches were never as welcoming as we thought they should be. You never felt like they really wanted us there. I don't know, they probably did. It's just that's the way some churches are. You just get that feeling. And so uh, we tried a few times, but mostly I stayed back on the farm on Sundays. Then one day, uh, Lydia had had enough of that, and she announced to me, she said, you know, this may be okay for you, but it's not good for me or our kids, so we're going 
to go to the church right down the road here. Now, that was a Methodist church. The one church, the one denomination I was never going to go to was the Methodist church. Now, you may be asking, that's kind of odd because now he's a Methodist preacher. How did that happen? Well, you see, Lydia was a Methodist growing up. So if we ended up in a Methodist church, she won. Oh, she is here. Okay. I got, where's my, I got to make a few notes, uh, change a few things here. No. But that, that really is, I know in my head it was pride. That was the truth. But she said, we're going down. There was a little Methodist church about two miles from the farm. We passed by it all the time, right on our way to everything. Never went in there. Well, the one other thing that more than not wanting to have her win this battle of the church, I couldn't conceive of my family going to church without me. That didn't set well. So we went to that church. We walked in, I think it was like 27, I kind of counted, like 27 folks there. Little church that would seat about 90 if it was packed. Uh, Very small little choir, just a few people. We walked in. Now, usually you would think, okay, cross this one off. You know, the preacher was in his 70s, and he was, his mind was that he was having some anger management problems at times. Uh, the, uh, the pews, oh my goodness. These were the original pews of the church from the 1850s. And during the Battle of Spotsylvania, they were used, they were used to lay the soul of the wounded men on as they were having their amputations. So you can imagine, the backs were straight. They didn't lean like these. They were straight up. The, what you were sitting on was about this wide. So it cut into your thighs just the wrong place. But at least you stayed awake. The organist, Jane, she had a rule she scheduled her tea time at the golf course for at 12, or a little bit after 12. So that at 12, the service had better be over. And if the pastor preached too long, she would just start playing the last song. And if that didn't work, she would just get up and leave. Uh This church had a lot of dysfunctionality. Even in the building that we worshipped in, there were no restrooms. They had built a little cinder block building next door that had a little kitchen, a restroom, and and one other room for for a Sunday school class. And that was a big thing because they used to have to go across the street to the rescue squad to go to the bathroom. Before that, you know, of course, they had the outhouse. So we had this church just facility-wise, even preacher-wise, uh, organist-wise, pew-wise, and I could go on and on with this, but this church would not hit all the you know, check-off boxes if you were looking for a church. Yet, for some reason, I walked in, I felt right at home. I don't know what that says about me. But there was a feeling of love in that place. Despite all the things they didn't have, the one thing they did have that we weren't encountering elsewhere was we sensed they actually loved the strangers walking through that door. And so I said, well, maybe I'd better go over my, over my Methodist phobia. 
I'll tell you one other thing when I was growing up. I mean, any time the church I went to wanted to talk about churches that were doing things wrong, it was the Methodist church. And the Methodist church in our community hosted teen dances for the young people. Can you imagine? No, y'all aren't looking shocked, okay. Because that doesn't sound that shocking. But when I was a kid to our church, we were really opposed to dancing, to to boys and girls, uh, uh, men and women swimming in the same swimming pools, all that kind of stuff. We had all that stuff going on. And the Methodists, were, and, and I had this, this vision of the dances that, you know, it's kind of like I can't even share with you in the church what my vision was going on there. You know, the drugs and the drinking and everything else. And so it was a big jump for me. Well, I began to read up on John Wesley founder of Methodism, and as I'm reading along, I'm thinking, well, this is exactly what I've been looking for. This is where my heart is. This is what I believe about God. This is what I believe we're supposed to be. He talked about grace, a word I had seldom encountered in the churches I grew up in. He talked about love. But he also talked about things like righteousness and going on to completeness in Jesus or perfection and, and striving to be the best we can be. And I'm, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, this is great. So I became a dyed-in-the-wool Methodist. I became an, uh, a, the PPR chair and the lay leader. And I taught a Sunday school class. And, I, and Lydia would get a little mad at me because I would disappear sometimes on Sunday mornings because I would get up early and go up to sweep off the, the sidewalk outside and get the place ready because I wanted people to join this church to be part of that church. I loved that church in spite of everything. And so as I'm going along this week, it just a, a scene popped into my head from the movie Hoosiers, which is far and away the greatest movie ever made. It's about an Indiana basketball team from a little town and in a school with just a handful of students and they uh, I think they have, they end up during the season, they have to use their manager, the short little kid, to, to play in a game because they have so few players. And it's based on a true story in the 1950s. This team goes on, they have a, a, a new coach, and he comes in, and he's got kind of a controversial background, but he comes in and leads them to the state championship game. And you may not, you may or may not know this about Indiana, it's the only state in the country, where every team, no matter how big or small they are, competes for that championship. So here's the, basically one of the smallest schools in the state playing against this big city school with all the fancy stuff. And, and, and I remember this scene where the coach uh, uh, is in the locker room and he has said just about everything a coach could ever say. You know, forget their uniforms, forget the crowd, forget this, don't pay attention. He, he's giving them everything that he can talk about. And finally he just stops and pauses and he looks at them and he says, I love you guys. There's nothing else to say. And I began to think about as a pastor, how many times have I ever said to my church, I love you guys. And I really couldn't remember a time where I just directly said, I mean, it may have been intimated in something I said, I may have danced around it, but I never directly just said, I love you guys. And I thought what happens is, unfortunately, is about the only time pastors say that is to a church is when they're leaving. Retirement, or you're being moved to another church. 
Then you let it out, and we all cry together. And, but, but I'm like, but why would you be there for seven, eight, nine, ten years and never say to the folks, I love you? I don't want somebody at my funeral to have to stand up from the family and say, oh, by the way, guys, you may not have realized it, but he really loved you. So I thought, oh, that's what I want to say today, is I love you. And here's why I love you. For no other reason than that God loves you and made you to be my brothers and my sisters. And he set our course to come to this place to be together. And even when we're mean to each other, even when we say things we shouldn't say, even when we make mistakes, even when we forget things we should remember, God put us here together. And somehow it seemed idolatry for me to stand up here and to give a list of all the qualities of this congregation that somehow make you better than some other church and compare and do that sort of shopping list thing. Because when it comes right down to it, I don't care if the preacher, uh, when I came here, if I was looking for a church, was in his 70s and the organist every day you know, had a tea time that interfered with worship, and if the pews were on uncar- all that stuff didn't matter. What mattered was that God's love was there, and God's love touches our hearts. And it should make me love you no matter what. And I'm going to tell you, in seven years as a pastor, you're going to have moments. You're going to have moments you're going to shake your head and you're going to wonder where did that person come from or where did that attitude come from. And, of course, then I always look up all the passages about demon possession and how to get rid of the demons and all, you know. But here's the interesting thing. There's not one person who's ever been in the sanctuary, no matter if they didn't like me, if they didn't like something I said or something I did, whatever, I can truly say there's not one person who I don't love. That is the greatest lesson God has taught me. And if my love for this church or my love for my wife is based upon some list, that's not love. Not godly love. Because, you know, in my prayer I said that God sent Jesus to die for us when? When we were sinners. Not when we had earned it, but when we were sinners. And my love... For my wife is not based upon, you know, if, if, if earthly beauty fades. You know, our resources may not always be enough. Our health may suffer. And if my love abandons my heart for my spouse because of those things, then it never was love. And if my love for this church is only based upon the good times and the things that you do for me, or the, or the recognitions, God, I, I, love, I love to have people encourage me, and we should encourage each other, but in the end, even if nothing was said, I should still love you. Does that make sense? This is, this is the journey I've been on this week, trying to figure out why it is I love this church so much, and I realized I... I could have said, oh, because so many people work so hard and so many people do this and that and the other. In the end, I realized, no, on you, I see brothers and sisters in Christ and I just love you. And that's the way it should be, folks. And I beg you, don't love me on the basis of my sermons. <laughs> if, 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 if you could love me on that basis. Don't love me on some checklist of things of a pastor. Love me in spite of. Okay, love me in spite of. Because here's the thing. We are all on a journey from God 
with God and to God. We're on that, we're on that journey together. And boy, it's a lot better journey if we're loving each other and forgiving each other and picking each other up rather than picking each other apart and devouring each other. And I will say that about this church. I believe this church is a church that loves. We're not always perfect. But in the end, I have never had a day when I didn't feel the love of this church as a pastor. And so I wanted to say that to you today and thank you for that and pray for your forgiveness for all the times when maybe I haven't said it, demonstrated it, expressed it, that I love you. And amen. We want to uh, invite everybody into the fellowship hall afterwards, uh, just spend time together and, uh, and invite you to come to Sunday school. We have some great classes and uh, uh, classes filled with love. And so I, I hope you'll feel welcome uh, to any of those. Uh, I, it, it's a funny thing this week as I was thinking about why it was I ended up at the church that I was, that Lydia and I ended up there. And the greatest teacher in my life, in some respects, was my mother. My mother had a temper that could have no end. And she quite often got mad at me. I never deserved it, but she was mad at me. (laughs) And the one thing I remember about my mom was she loved me. Even when she was angry with me, I felt the love. And her temper tantrums against me always ended with her coming to me and saying, you know, I love you. Usually with tears in her eyes. Folks, that's love. Love endures. Love gets us through. And love at times uh, doesn't mean we have to be just all hiding stuff and hiding our feelings. We can be honest and true with each other. But in the end, after all that honesty comes out, we still love each other. We know it because God's love is in us. So go in his peace. Know the blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And above all, know that he loves you this day. And amen.